It's good to be with you all again after a long Labor Day weekend. I hope you got some rest, kind of got recharged, and now you're back and you're ready for more of God. I'm praying that that's what your heart is tonight. And I just want to encourage you with two things. First, small groups. You know, we started small groups last week, and it was an incredible week. Uh, we started out just by uh, sharing our stories and just uh, being real with each other, sharing our struggles. And, and I heard some awesome testimonies from small group. If you haven't got connected, it's not too late. Just encourage you guys, find a small group, jump in. I promise you it'll change your life for the better. And then, or secondly, fall retreat. If you haven't signed up for fall retreat, go to fall retreat. Josh told his testimony. It's an incredible, incredible weekend. God changed my life through fall retreat as well. And I just want to encourage you all to go. And if like, if it wasn't good, I wouldn't encourage you to come. So it's really good. And I know we're in your face about it, but, but that's how much we believe in it. So I just encourage you guys to, to get signed up for Fall Retreat. And I promise, if money's an issue, we will cover it. So just talk to us. We're not going to tell anybody or anything like that. Just come talk to me after service, and we'll get you there. So we're in our third week of our current uh, sermon series called Brand New. And the heart behind this series is Jesus wants to make each of us brand new. Jesus wants to come in, as I talked about, and transform our hearts, give us a new heart and a new spirit. God wants to break down the walls that each of us put up in our heart and give us a new heart and a brand new spirit. That's the heart behind this here is that God wants to transform our lives, that God wants to raise dead people to life. The Bible talks about how each of us are born separated from God and we're born dead in our sin, but Jesus can come and make us come alive. Isn't that incredible? He can come and make us brand new. So that's the heart behind this series. So the first week we talked about how Jesus can forgive anyone. doesn't matter if you're religious, if you're not religious. And we talked about how there's different kinds of sins for, for religious people like pride and, and thinking you can earn your salvation. And then there's the sins of the non-religious that pursue things other than God. And we talked about how Jesus embraces all of us and he can forgive each of us. Then last week was an incredible week. It was an, just an incredible move of God last week. Like Guys, if you weren't there, check it out online. It was such a good week. And, and Jesus just set many of us free from our sin. We talked about how Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin and also from the power of sin. Now this week, it's going to get even better. I'm believing today it's going to be even better than the last two weeks. We're going to talk about how Jesus satisfies us, how Jesus is the key to satisfaction, that there's nothing else in the world that can satisfy us like Jesus can. So we have an interesting demographic of people in this room. Okay? So some of you were kind of at that age right when cell phones started to become a thing. You know, like, people were buying cell phones. Not only parents anymore, but kids were getting cell phones. You know, for me, I was, like, 6th, 7th grade when, like, all of a sudden, my friends were buying phones and texting, and I was like, Mom, I need this thing. I need a cell phone. And I am kind of a weirdo, and I brought all of my cell phones that I've ever had. They're all in this bag. I've kept every cell phone. I don't know why, but now it's coming handy. So, 6th grader, the Nokia. I don't know if you remember this bad boy. On the back, I have a Christian band... Cutlass, if you know who Cutlass is, I, and a cross. So this was the phone I got, okay? And this was incredible. I, I love this phone. It even has a camera. I'm not sure if it actually took pictures, but there is a camera there. It's probably really blurry. But then after like two years of having this phone, I was like, this thing really stinks. This thing is tiny, first of all. I can't even see that. And it has Cutlass on the back, like, no. But, and I wanted the flip phone. So here's the sexy flip phone that came out, I don't know when. But I got this bad boy, and this was incredible because I could flip up my phone and just like look really cool, throw it up here. It just, I don't know, it's a sweet phone. And I had this for a while, and naturally, about two years later, that phone was not cutting it because everyone was getting these really cool slider phones. You remember these? <laughs> these sweet slider phones. If you still have one of these, I'm not making fun of you. This is cool. 
with a sweet slide phone, and, but for some reason, every phone I got, like, they're always, like, a penny at the store because my mom wanted to get the cheap one, uh, which I get it. I was, like, 10, but so the, the cheap phone, and it didn't work after, like, a little bit of time. You could, like, not save anything on it. You could take a picture, and then it'd say, oh, the storage is, like, all taken, so I'd have to delete the picture after I took it. There were some apps on it, but, like, none of them worked, so, yeah, this phone went away, and then the BlackBerry, the BlackBerry. These were so cool. But I had this for a couple months, and then I peed my pants with this phone in my pocket, and it broke. I'm not kidding. Thank you, Jesus. So I got another BlackBerry. <laughs> but Blackberries weren't cool as soon as I got them. That was just my luck. I had a BlackBerry when I came to college, and, and nobody had them anymore. I was a weirdo. So then I had to get the touchscreen. Once again, a penny phone at the Great U.S. Cellular. This thing stunk so bad. But then, like, I got married, and I moved up to Minneapolis, and, you know, Minneapolis is just a really cool hip town, okay? If you're there, you got to have the coolest jeans. I got to be skinny jeans, okay? I threw all my skinny jeans away, so don't worry. I guess these are kind of skinny, but these are the skinniest jeans I have. They were way worse before. Like, everyone has to have cool shirts, like the button-ups, you know, like, like the cool hair, like, shaved on the sides and combed over. Like, that was Minneapolis. And one of the things you have to have, that's cool, John and Matt, you guys have good hair. I love it. I've done it. But that's what I was going to say. So anyways, I had that crappy phone, and I was at Bible college, and every kid had an iPhone. So it's like, I need an iPhone. I really need one of these. I prayed every night, Lord, please give me money. But I was so broke. Like, I was just married. We ate like hot dogs every night because we are so broke. But I was like, Lord, give me an iPhone 5C. Please, I want the five cheap. I'll take the cheap one. Just give me an iPhone. So then in October of 2013, I finally went, and bought the iPhone 5C. I don't have it with me. I finally stopped hoarding them. I sold that one back. Two years later, I got the 6S. And I'm very content with the 6S. But, you know, give it a few months, I'm going to be sick of this thing, because there's going to be, like, some huge phone or something out there or, or some really cool feature. Uh, actually, I think they're going smaller again, but I like the big phone. But anyways, so there's going to be something else that comes out. There's going to be something that grabs my attention, and then no one's going to have the 6S anymore. I'm going to feel really bad about myself. I'm like, I need to get something new. And it's just like this this progression of just getting newer and newer stuff and, and having to have the brand new thing. And, and the thing I find with the, or the cell phone illustration, I think it really relates, which is all of life, okay? I think human beings, or I don't think I know, we're on a constant search for the next big thing. You know, we want to have the new thing. We can't stick with the Nokia, okay? Those are of the past. Like, we got to have the new thing. We want the next thrill or the next pleasure or the next trinket, we want, we want, we want, we want something new. We want or some great experience. We gotta travel. We gotta do this. We gotta do that. We gotta have something more. But the thing is, is every time we get something new, it takes about a week and we're over it. Like every time we go on a great trip, like it always seems better. I feel like okay, like I went to Disney a couple years ago. I'm just gonna tell this quick story. It doesn't really matter. But you know, Disney is supposed to be awesome. But I'm telling you, it was like 99 degrees. It was like 100% humidity, and I had friends who were so like just crazy. Like they want to get up at like six. The point I'm making is it wasn't really that much fun when you were there. But you look back and you're like, wow, like I need to go back to Disney. But then you get there like, okay, it's not that great. It's really hot out. My feet hurt. The thing is, is guys, nothing satisfies us the way we think it will. Like, we got to go on the next big trip. we got to buy the new thing. I feel like we're on this constant search for something more. And we know deep down that there's nothing in this world that can truly satisfy us. It's something out there that, that seems unreachable almost. Something that appears to be far off or from a different world. 
Nothing can satisfy us. And I love what C.S. Lewis says about this. Throw the quote up on the screen. It says this. If I find in myself desires which, which nothing in this world can satisfy, then the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. That's in Mere Christianity, great book. C.S. Lewis, is, he's pointing to the fact that in each of us, in the human heart, there's this longing for something more. And nothing in this world can satisfy it. Because we were made for a different world. We were made to be satisfied by relationship with God. So true satisfaction, contentment, and true joy will not be found in this world because this world was never meant to satisfy the deep desires of our hearts. It's only meant to push us to the one who can satisfy us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to look at a story about this. And we're going to start in verse 5 and go through verse 15. And as you're turning or looking up at the screen, I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for tonight. We just pray that in every heart in this room tonight, God, that, that every heart would taste the joy and the contentment and the satisfaction that comes only from you. God, I pray that you'd make a home in each of our hearts tonight and that this service would continue to be powerful, God. We pray that in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 5. Let's read it. So he came, we're talking about Jesus. So Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So the sixth hour refers to noon because their day starts at 6 a.m. So, so it's noon when it would have been very hot and travelers like Jesus would be getting tired and they would stop for a drink. And it says in verse 7 that a woman from, Sam, or from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So a woman from Samaria comes to get water and this would have been unusual because typically women would come to draw water in the morning for their family or in the evening because during the day it's really hot. So everyone goes in the morning and in the evening to get water, but this woman decides to come in the middle of the day when nobody would be there. And this suggests that she was trying to come at a time where no one could see her. And later on in verse 18, we see that this woman kind of got around a bit. She had been with multiple men. She had multiple husbands, five husbands. So this woman was avoiding traffic because she felt shameful and full of guilt. So this is unusual that she was even there. But then the fact that Jesus speaks to her and then asks her for a drink is really incredible because this was a patriarchal society where, uh, where men dominated and led. Like, like you don't talk to someone who's immoral, especially in the middle of the day out in the open. Like this would have been really unusual. But Jesus doesn't care about his culture, doesn't care about any of that. Jesus reaches across and says, woman, give me a drink. Let's read verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So I've already said that it was unusual, but it's even more unusual because this woman is a Samaritan, and Jews and Samaritans did not get along. You know, Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be unclean. And there's a few reasons for this. Or Samaritans weren't fully Jewish, so, they're, or so they come from a line of like just mixing between the Jewish people and then other, uh, or other nations and religions. So they're not fully Jewish. Uh, secondly, they didn't, like, 
or they didn't obey all the law. So the Jewish law, they didn't obey the whole thing. They, they didn't think the whole thing was important, but they kind of mixed what they wanted from different religions. They said, oh, you know, or I can take this that's good from that religion, take this from the Jewish law, and combine it. So they didn't actually obey the whole law. And then the third thing was they didn't, or they didn't worship in the temple of Jerusalem. They worshiped on some other mountain. It's really sacred, and, and it's super important in this culture to worship at the temple. So Jesus, drinking from this woman's jar, would have actually made him unclean in the eyes of the Jews. This is huge, that Jesus is interacting with this woman. Don't, don't miss this picture. Jesus, the ultimate clean one, the holy one, stoops down to love someone who is the lowest of the low in this society. Don't miss the gravity of this. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, then you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So he takes the conversation, he turns it spiritual. He says, if you knew who I am, that I'm the son of God, that I'm the Messiah, the king that you've all been waiting for, then you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. And by living water, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. Guys, once we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us. And Jesus is speaking this. He's saying, if you knew who I was, then you would ask me for living water because the Holy Spirit is the best thing in the world. Having the Holy Spirit inside of you, being a follower of me, being a child of God, it's the best thing in the world. If you knew who I was, then you would ask me for living water. So he turns the conversation spiritual, but the woman's not getting the picture. So she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. This is awkward. Jesus just made it spiritual, and she's talking about like if he has something to actually draw water with. It's kind of awkward. Jesus thought that was a really cool line. Wow, living water, she's going to love this. She's going to repent. And then she says, you don't really have a cup to get, to get water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get the living water? Verse 12, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she still thinks that Jesus is talking about, about actual water. She's not getting the picture. And Jesus, or Jesus says to her that everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water coming up to eternal life. So he says the person's deepest longing to know God personally will be satisfied forever if they drink the water that he's offering her. If you put your faith in Jesus and trust him with your life. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So at this point in the story, the woman, I think she still thinks he's talking about actual water, which is awkward, like I said. But in the next couple of verses, Jesus begins to read this woman's mail. So what's that mean? You start to know things about someone that you shouldn't. So Jesus says, I know you have five husbands, and I know you're living with someone who's not your husband. And then she's like, wow, this dude is legit. This guy is real. This is something legit here. And then she starts to realize that this is a spiritual conversation. She starts to realize that this is the Messiah. This is the king that's been promised to us. And the woman gets changed, and she goes back to her town where all the Samaritans are, or all the unclean people are, and she begins to tell them all about Jesus. And they start to come to Jesus. They start to believe in him. How incredible is that? The woman who most of the religious society, actually all of them, would have actually neglected and said, no, you're too unclean, you're too dirty to come to God. Jesus stoops down to her level. He preaches the gospel to her, tells her about the Holy Spirit. Then she goes and changes her whole community. Come on, that don't get you excited. I don't know what does. That is awesome. That could be us. Jesus taking our filthy rags and then changing it into something beautiful and then using us to reach our friends. How cool is that? That's awesome. I'm pumped. All right. So the main point tonight is this. Jesus makes us brand new by satisfying the deepest longings of our heart. 
The deepest longing of the human heart is to have right relationship with God, to know him and enjoy relationship with him, then go out and make him known. So it's, it's to know him and to make him known. And we see this in the story. This is what we were made for. We were made to worship God with our entire lives, to surrender to him like I talked about at the beginning, like humbling ourselves and saying, God, you have control of my life, to surrender to him and, have, and, and to have right relationship, and then to go and make him known to our friends. When we put our faith in Jesus, he satisfies the deepest desire in our heart. And when we're satisfied and not going to the world to be satisfied or going to the world to satisfy what it could never satisfy, then we become a brand new person. So let's break it down into two points tonight. I know that's a surprise to you because I've done it every week. First thing is this. Worship of anything other than God leads to dissatisfaction and despair. The scriptures, in my own experience, testify to the fact that the things of this world can never satisfy the deep longings of my heart. You know, there's times I felt happy temporarily or felt good for just, or for just a little bit, but nothing this world has to offer could satisfy my deep longing for relationship with God, for, for eternal joy, for satisfaction. The worship of people and things other than God is the root of all sin, and it actually leads to death. So putting things before God, that's the root of sin. You know, the first of the Ten Commandments is to have no other gods before God. You maybe like heard of the Ten Commandments. It's in the Old Testament. It's like ten rules that God gave the Israelites and said, these are the most important things to obey. And the first one is don't put any gods before me. So is he talking about like don't worship any other gods and other religions? Sure, he's talking about that. But he's also talking about just your life in general. Don't put, or don't put school before me. Don't put your friends before me. Don't put family before me. Don't put anything before me. Don't put your comfort before me. God says, don't put any gods before me. So that's the first commandment. And then all the, other or all the other commandments flow out of that. If we keep that in perspective, it's going to help us obey God. So good gifts from God are to, to be enjoyed and to push us into greater, or to greater worship of him, but they're not meant to be gods in our life. They're not meant to be the reason for living. If we make God's gifts to us, gods themselves, then we'll be deeply dissatisfied and we'll be on a constant search for significance, joy, and meaning. Nothing other than God can satisfy the deep longings of our heart. Pastor Tim Keller says it really well in his book, Counterfeit Gods. We're going to throw the quote up on the screen. He says this. This guy is a genius. If you want to hear where a lot of my stuff comes from, just read his books, okay? He says this. The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career or love or material possessions, all good things, even family, and then turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. So Tim's saying, when anything other than God takes the centerpiece of our hearts, it becomes sin and will ultimately lead to death and destruction. Your family is not a good God. I just said it. Your family is not the most important thing in your life. Friends are not a good God. They will fail you. Your boyfriend or girlfriend is not a good God. Your schoolwork is not a good God. Success and achievement is not a good God. They will fail you. These things are good things from God, and you should enjoy them. But they are not meant to be the center of your life. And putting things in front of God, that's the root of all sin. And Jesus is very clear. He says, if you're going to follow me, then you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. 
That's the only way you can follow him. It's all or nothing with him. Jesus shows incredible grace. As we talked about last week, he goes down to the woman who was caught in adultery and says, woman, I don't condemn you today. But then he says, go and sin no more. Jesus is with this woman in John 4, she, or she's a, or just a woman who should be, be unclean, she's a, or she's an unclean woman. She's the downcast of society. Jesus comes to her. He stoops down to her level, but then he challenges her to make him first place in her life. Jesus has incredible grace, but then his grace is meant to push us to worship him alone, to put him before, all, or before anything else. And guys, I'm telling you, if you try to make things other than God, the God in your life, then you're going to be dissatisfied. And you're going to get to the end, and you're going to look at your life, and you're going to be in despair because you didn't worship the one who matters. You worship God's stuff, and they make crummy gods. They're only meant to be enjoyed and to push you into worship of him. They're good things. Money is not bad. I talked about that last week. Food is not bad. Sex is not bad. But they're meant to be enjoyed in the proper confines that God sets up for us, like uh, sex inside marriage or, or to be a steward of your money or to, you know, like enjoy those chicken wings but don't eat 30 of them. They're meant to be good things that you enjoy, but they're meant to push you to worship God. So like if eating those chicken wings is just the end in itself, like I need to eat a ton of food because I'm really hungry and I am just a glutton and I just need to keep chowing, but you don't think about God, then you've done it wrong. This is what you're supposed to do. Go to beat ups tonight, eat something incredible and say, Jesus, come on, you're so good. That's what God's gifts are for. They're not meant to be an end in themselves. Guys, your activities are not meant to be an end in themselves. Kick some butt in marching band. Come on, marching band. People, do it awesome. Come on. Do it awesome. But as you're doing it, do it all for the glory of God. Do it so you can reach your friends. It's not an end in itself. God is calling us to put things in their proper place. He is on top. That's the root of all sin. That's the root of all dissatisfaction. If you put God down below other things, Jesus was very clear in the word. I'm sorry if this offends you. But I'm also not sorry, because it says that Jesus looked at a man who was rich. This man who was rich had all the things he could want, and, and it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And the man asked him, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus said, dude, you need to go. Sell everything you have and follow me, because those things are taking place of God in your life. And it says that Jesus loved him. Jesus said that out of love. So I'm saying this out of love to you guys. I'm not trying to offend you, but God needs to be first in your life. Please. Don't walk out of here without having an encounter with God and saying, God, I'm making you first. If you don't make God first, then I'm doing everything wrong. That's what every message is meant to do. That's what all this is about. This isn't about just having some church thing on Tuesday nights. This isn't about just getting crazy and jumping on This Is Living, although I did that. It was incredible. That's not what it's about. It's all about making God the Lord of your life. If you don't do it, then you're going to be dissatisfied. It's only for your good. So I'm telling you, guys, if you're worshiping other gods over him, today's the day. Crush those idols. In Jesus' name, come on. Let's go. Come on, Jesus. So John 4, 13 says this. It says, everyone who drinks of the water, or of this water, will be thirsty again. So as I said, Jesus says, this water will not satisfy you long-term. The things of this world will not provide long-term satisfaction. You're going to come back for more because it's not going to satisfy you. There's no amount of this stuff that's going to fill the God-sized hole in your heart. So in his book, Creature of the Word, I have a lot of quotes tonight. I don't know why. I had zero the last couple of weeks, but I have a lot tonight, so get ready. This guy named Matt Chandler, an incredible preacher, this dude has this book called Creature of the Word, and he points out 
three different wells that we try to satisfy ourselves from. Okay, so we're talking about specifically in our culture, there's like three different areas where we go to, we go to draw water from and hoping that these things will satisfy us. So let's go through these. Let's get offended again. The first thing is this. First thing is money and comfort. We oftentimes try to satisfy ourselves with money and comfort. You know, I like to talk about the cell phones. There's something absolutely intoxicating about getting something new. You know, for those of you who still have, like, the flip phone, dude, you guys are awesome. But there's something about, about having something new that's intoxicating. Like, we just want more and more of it, but it never seems to satisfy. Deep inside, we know we're holding this stuff of future garage sales. It's going to be in a garage sale someday. Someday I'm going to sell those and get a ton of money out of them. But no amount of stuff or, or money will make you feel secure. You know, like if you have a lot of money in the bank, you could still lose your job and still lose all your money. You could still get sick and lose your money. Like there's no amount of money that can make you feel secure. And closely related to money is comfort. There's no amount of comfort that can satisfy your heart. That's something I struggle with. Like I love to be comfortable, like have a good time, chill on the couch. You know, sometimes that or that starts to fight for first place in my life. Like, you know, do I have enough money? Like, am I comfortable? That's something I struggle with, guys. I'm being real. The thing about comfort, or the thing about maximum comfort, is it leads to laziness. And I don't know about you, but when I get lazy and I'm not doing anything, I feel really terrible. Because there's a lack of purpose. There's discontentment. You don't feel like your life is worth anything. So once again, comfort leads to a dead end if it becomes a God in your life. The second thing is this, relationships and sex. So I think something we often try to satisfy ourselves with is a relationship. You know, sex, I've talked about that, but let's talk about relationships. And we think, if we could only find the one, then I would be so happy. Everything would be perfect. His life would be bliss. If that Prince Charming would come riding in on that horse, oh, wow, life would be so good. And I would be happy, finally. I'm telling you guys, that person on the horse, or the chick in the dress, whatever, they're going to get old and wrinkly. They're going to be kind of irritating. I'm not saying any, like our marriage, there's no irritation between us. But there's time <laughs> that people can get irritating. And they won't satisfy the hole in your heart. Yes, like relationships are a good thing. God's given us marriage. And I love marriage. I love sex. I said that the first week. I'm saying it again tonight. I'm married. So I love sex. They're good things. But they're not good gods. And if you don't have Jesus at the center, then it's all going to get twisted. It's going to get whack, and you're not going to be satisfied. Third thing is this, respect and success. We try to satisfy ourselves with respect and success. We want approval. We want acceptance. We want achievement. And we may feel great initially when we achieve that thing. Like, we get the new max out on the bench press. You know, Josh, you know, I got that. Actually, I didn't. No, I'm just saying. <laughs> but if we get that new max out, yeah, it's great. But then we just want to come back and beat it. You know, it's just, or it's just continual, like, it's... Or there's no amount of achievement that's enough. You know, for me, like, I thought if I got valedictorian in high school, that would just have it made. You know, I'd be in Harvard. Like, I'd be getting all the scholarships. Well, I got valedictorian, and it didn't really matter. Like, I did get a scholarship to you and I, but like, I love you and I, but it wasn't Harvard. And it didn't satisfy the deep desires of my heart to be significant. There's no amount of success or respect that can satisfy your heart. All right, so how many of you enjoy Jim Carrey's movies? Yes, there's like four of us. No, I'm kidding. There's a lot of people. Uh, okay, so my dad was obsessed with Jim Carrey. Like, for me growing up, it was always like The Mask, if you remember that movie. Kind of creepy when you think about it. There's Ace Ventura, 
and I haven't seen these movies in forever, so if they're inappropriate, don't watch them, but I don't remember, but, you know, Truman Show, that's a good movie, I've seen that recently, that's a good one, um, there's other ones, The Cable Guy, anybody, or is that just me, okay, The Cable Guy, Bruce Almighty, you get the point, okay, Jim has definitely achieved the American dream. This guy is an American icon, or at least he was when we were growing up. I don't know if he is now. I haven't heard much about him. But this guy is an American icon. And most people, like, really respect this guy. They know who he is. And this guy has more money than any person needs. You know, sometimes I look at a guy like Jim and I think, wow, if I could just have that fame, that success, the cash flow, wow, life would be really cool. Like, life would be great. It would be even better than it already is. My life is great, but, but wow, if I had that, I wonder what that would be like. And a couple years ago, I came across this quote by Jim that I think is really profound. I have it on the screen. So I just think this is really cool. He says this. He says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of and find out that it's not the answer. Like, guys, all of us millennials just got crushed because we thought if we just achieve our dreams, life will be perfect. God's given me a destiny, and he has. But, but sometimes we make these gods in our life. Like, if I could achieve my dreams, then life would be perfect. But Jim says it's not really that great. It's not at all it's cracked up to be. It's not the answer. Now, I don't think Jim's a Christian. I actually know he's not. He's, like, got some crazy religion, so please don't go check it out. If you check it out, just know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But anyways, <laughs> you know, Jim's still looking for the answer, I think. But for, for each of us who have the word and we know the truth about Jesus, we know that Jesus is the answer. Jesus is what satisfies us. So with this in mind, what are we to do? The entire world is in a rat race for money, success, comfort, sex, the American dream. But, but guys, what are we to do as the people of God? I think this is what we need to do. Or to do. I think we need to identify the lie that created things can satisfy us and reject it. We need to enjoy what God has given us and, and take everything he's given us for, for his glory and for the advancement of the gospel and to push us into worship of him. But we have to run from the temptation to make the things of this world our God. It will only lead to despair and destruction. Jesus is the one who satisfies Jesus and, and a relationship with him is the key to living a life of joy. So the second point is this. Worship of Jesus is the only path to deep satisfaction, and joy. Bet you're surprised that that was the second point. I know, it's profound. Jesus is the only person who can satisfy the deep longings of our heart. He, Jesus is the way to true joy and satisfaction for, for meaning, for contentment. He forgives us of our sin. He sees everything about us. He sees how flawed we are. He sees all of it but he forgives us. Wow, that's incredible. He sees the grip that sin has on our life, and he sets us free from it. How cool is that? Jesus gives us a purpose to worship him and to make him known. I'm telling you guys, or I'm telling you guys, I'm excited, so I like skip guys. Jesus is the only pathway to deep satisfaction, to deep joy, and if we don't have relationship with him, we cannot have the joy and the satisfaction that he promises us. So John 4, 13 through 14, let's read it again. It says, it says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
Jesus points to the wells of this world, and he says they will only lead to more thirst. They're only going to lead you to want something more. But if you drink of my water, the living water, then you'll never be thirsty again. You'll be deeply satisfied. And you'll have eternal relationship with God. How cool is that? Eternal relationship with God in heaven. The one who created the 100 billion galaxies. It's probably more than that by now. That's what it was when I was a freshman here in astronomy class. But it's a lot of galaxies. He created all of those. It says he numbers the stars, but he wants relationship with us. That should be pretty satisfying. I don't know about you. I think that's satisfying. Come on. John 6, 35 says, this is Jesus talking. He says, I'm the bread of life. It says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus symbolically refers to himself as the bread of life. He says, if you come to me and you eat of what I have to offer you, then you'll never be hungry again. He says, you'll never thirst again. This is incredible. If we have relationship with Jesus, then we'll be satisfied. There, there's no more searching. There's no more looking around for something to satisfy. I trying to grab a, or just whatever the world can give us and saying, will that satisfy me? Will that satisfy me? There's, there's no more of that. Jesus says, I am the answer. I am the pathway to satisfaction. You will never be hungry or thirsty or longing for something more again. That's good. Come on, that's good preaching. All right, Psalm 1611 says this, and I'm just telling you, Jesus told me to preach this sermon because I woke up this morning, and every time I wake up, I look at my phone, I pull up the Bible app. You can see it. It's this one right here. I encourage you to get it. The verse of the day was Psalm 1611. Come on. There's like tons of verses in the Bible. I don't know how many, but there's a lot. And this one was picked. So I was jacked. It was a good way to start my day. And this is one of my favorite verses anyways. So it says this. It says, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is why worship is incredible here on Tuesday nights. It's not because of Levensky, although he's a stud muffin. He's got great hair. He's got a great voice. Or Mackenzie or Trey. It's not because of them. It's because the presence of the Lord is here. And when you're in God's presence, there's fullness of joy. All of a sudden, everything else starts to take a back seat. You don't think about the test you're struggling with or, or studying for. You don't think about you know, your relationship struggles. You don't think about those things because the fullness of joy is here. Think about if we could be in God's presence all the time. Think about if we didn't just have to come here to get in God's presence. Think about if we took responsibility for our faith and, and we put God first place and we worshiped him not only with our lips, but with our lifestyles. Think about that. Fullness of joy 24-7. So I want, come on. All right. This is, I was going to say the same thing again. All right, sorry. Got in the wrong place. Let me take a second. All right. Now, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Following Jesus does not mean that everything goes perfectly in life. Don't buy that lie. It doesn't mean you'll be constantly happy. You're going to be happy a lot because you're in relationship with God. That's pretty cool. But you're not going to be happy all the time. There's going to be things that happen. Life will come at you, sickness or death or a breakup or or whatever, I don't know, guys, but things will come at you in life. And there's going to be times that life stinks, and you're not going to feel super joyful in the moment. You're not going to feel it in the moment. That's life. 
But what Jesus promises us is a deep joy, this deep grounding and joy, this deep contentment, this deep satisfaction, which is a little bit different than happiness. See, happiness is more based on our circumstances that are external to ourselves and things that we really can't control. Like, did we get a good paycheck this week? Like, is mom good with me? Do I have a girlfriend this week? Things external to ourselves. But joy is something internal. Joy is grounded in, e- in eternal realities. Joy comes from knowing who your dad is in heaven. Joy comes from knowing your purpose, from, from knowing that you're forgiven and that you're loved by the king of kings. That's where joy comes from. But happiness is more based on temporary things. When you follow Jesus, he gives you joy, and that doesn't shift based upon your circumstances. And I have some proof. Actually, I don't have some proof. This is something else. Cheryl McDonald, throw up the quote. She says this. This is a woman. I found it on the internet. She's from a healthpsychology.org. It's, or it's a legit page. I'm not just pulling stuff up. But this is what she said. She's a doctor, so it's super legit. Okay, this is what she says about joy and happiness. <laughs> like, you guys have all done it. You just Google, talk about happiness and joy. And this is what I found. And it's actually legit. Okay, so let's read this. It says, happiness is subjective. And it's measured by people's feelings of happiness, which are, you know, like she said, subjective. While joy is a state of mind and a combination of emotions that contain elements of contentment, I like that, confidence, and hope. Contentment, confidence, and hope. That's what your joy is based off of. Doesn't say everything's going to be perfect in your life. You're going to have a lot of cash in the bank, a great car sitting outside ready for you to drive after this, a great girl sitting in the passenger seat. Doesn't say that. It says contentment because you know that your dad in heaven loves you. Confidence, because you know that he's going to save you. And hope, because you know that this life is not all there is. That's where joy comes from. That's cool. That's cool. So, guys, when we don't have a relationship with the Lord, though, we don't get to have that deep contentment, that confidence, and that hope. And it leads us to search for satisfaction in all the wrong places. I've told bits of my story the last two weeks, and I talked about my struggle with sin and, and my falling away from the Lord in high school. But I think when it comes down to it, the biggest thing for me that kind of led to my falling away from Jesus, or whatever you want to call it, that, that just led to those couple years of just not obeying the Lord, was I was on this desperate search for satisfaction. But I was looking in all the wrong places. See, I'd been hurt by the church. You know, life just wasn't going well for me. Couldn't get a girlfriend save my life. And nothing felt right. And I was just searching for satisfaction in all the wrong places. So, you know, I searched for it. Through school, I thought if I could get, you know, straight A's, if I could keep all my grades above 96%, it was a really weird, like, rule I had in my head, but if I could keep my grades with 96% and I did it, then I'll be happy. Then I got valedictorian. Great, I got a medal. There's like 20 of us up there because it's like participation award, I think. There's so many valedictorians. I'm not even sure if they even had 4.0s, but anyways. So there's a lot of valedictorians. I'm not bitter about it or anything, but, <laughs> but that didn't satisfy me. And I thought if I could, you know, just get a girlfriend, I'd be satisfied. I'd be super happy because, you know, the other person's meant to complete me. But, you know, quite frankly, all the girls I, so all the girls I wanted to date didn't want to date me, and all the girls that wanted to date me, I didn't want to date them, so it sucked. And I didn't find joy in that either. You know, sex or sexual, I was going to say actually intimacy, so I'm going to change that too. To intimacy with women did not satisfy me. 
None of those things could satisfy me. Then I thought, you know, if I could just get to a different state of mind, if I could forget about this world through alcohol or drugs, then that will satisfy me. And every time I got high or I drank a lot of alcohol, I could just wake up the next morning and feel horrible because I knew it wasn't the person I was called to be. And I did a lot of stupid things, like pee my pants. Um, brought the phone earlier. Um, did a lot of dumb things. I wasn't going to tell you that, but I just decided to. I'm feeling crazy tonight. But anyways, so, guys, it never led to satisfaction or joy. Like, I remember every Saturday and Sunday morning just feeling horrible, feeling like I'd missed it in life, just feeling like I couldn't find the meaning that I felt like was promised to me as a human being. I couldn't find it. It was only when I tasted that sweet forgiveness of Jesus on that July morning in 2011. I told the story during the first week, if you want to go back and listen to that, if you weren't here. But, but Jesus met me in a huge way on July 23rd of 2011. And, and I realized that there was nothing that could separate me from his love. None of those things could separate me from his love. And when I tasted that love, and the fact that he called me son, that changed me. And I've been satisfied ever since. Like, I haven't been searching in any other place. Because I know who my dad is in heaven. Because I know he loves me, that he has a plan for my life. That he died on the cross for my sins. It's completely transformed me. So for those of you who have went down the path that I talked about, the things I struggled with, you do know deep down that they come up short. None of these other gods can satisfy you. And for those of you who have been kind of religious, maybe you thought, wow, maybe one of those things could, could make my life better if I pursued one of those avenues. I'm here to tell you that it doesn't do it. It doesn't satisfy you. The only place you'll find satisfaction is in a deep, intimate relationship with God. It's the only place. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's good. That's a good word. Come on. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan or the world, whatever you want to think of, it comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It doesn't deliver on what it promises you. But Jesus came that you may have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus is offering each of us is living water, eternal satisfaction, life. And God gives us everything we need through his word. Read this thing if you haven't. This is good, good stuff. Through the word and through the Holy Spirit. God gives you everything you need to be satisfied and to be grounded in him and to have the joy that he promises. The worship team could come up. We're about to close here. So the main point tonight is this. Jesus makes us brand new by satisfying the deepest longings of our hearts. Jesus makes us brand new by satisfying the deepest longings of our heart. I know that all of us are at different places in our journey. We're all at a different season. None of us are in the exact same place in life. You know, maybe you've known Jesus for your whole life intellectually, and you know that he satisfies. You know Psalm sixteen eleven that says, in his presence there's fullness of joy. But for some reason, you're just not feeling that satisfaction or that joy. Something's off in your relationship with God. You're just not really feeling that deep contentment. And you are thinking about the things that the world could offer you. I just want to encourage you. The place where that satisfaction is found, the place where that deep, deep joy is found is in an actual relationship with God. 
So I just think tonight, the Lord wants to call some of us to re-engage in relationship with him. So I don't know where you're at, but maybe you haven't been reading your Bible. Maybe you haven't been praying. Maybe you haven't been worshiping the Lord on your own time. Maybe you have just allowed things to come in and separate you from God. But tonight, God wants you just to have a fresh start. God wants to say, ground yourself in me and you're going to find joy. Ground yourself in me. You know, maybe you have given your life to Jesus, but you have no idea what it means to actually have the relationship with him. And like I said with the first group, I believe that tonight Jesus is calling you to dive deeper. I feel like this specific sentence right here is a word from God. So listen, this is good. This is from God. This is for tonight. This is the sentence of the night. Do whatever it takes to get closer to God. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. We don't have time to mess around with the things of this world. Do whatever it takes to get closer to God. If you have to break up with someone, if you have to, to throw the alcohol away, if you have to do this or that, I don't know what your story is. If you have to throw the video games away, like if you have to leave the video games back at home, like what do you have to do to, to crush those idols in your life to get closer to God? I encourage you tonight to do it. And you're not going to be disappointed. I promise you will not be disappointed. There are so many barriers between us and God tonight. I just feel it. I feel the weight. All day today, I just felt this weight from God. I, I, it was just an anxious day for me. I felt like the Lord wants to break through tonight. I think the first two weeks were just a setup for what God wants to do tonight. I believe that God wants to take us to a deeper place. And the last couple of weeks, you've just been punched by the Holy Spirit. You know, twice in a row, the Holy Spirit just punched you right in the heart. But you're still not letting him in. You're still not saying, God, there's no other gods before you. You're still not willing to give up those things that are separating you from God. Stop holding on to it. Jesus could come back tomorrow. I know, guys, I'm not someone who believes that he's coming back like, like at any instant, like right now. Like I don't believe like, like necessarily right this moment. But he will come back, and it could be in our lifetimes. We don't have time to waste. Just as Josh said, there are students all around us that are dying and they're going to hell. There's a campus that is headed towards hell right now that's all around us. God wants to have intimacy with you. It's not just about that. It's also about you. God wants intimacy with you. But you're preventing him from coming into your heart and being the Lord of your life. And tonight, it's time to do whatever it takes to get closer to him. Do whatever it takes Crush those idols. Come on. Don't let anything separate you from God. Don't let good things separate you from God. Don't put anything above him. It's not worth it. That boyfriend, that girlfriend, that activity, that schoolwork, that family, that, those friends, none of those things are going to satisfy the deep longing in your heart. Those are great things, but they make crummy gods. And I feel like there's some more of us. Maybe you never come into relationship with God. Maybe you've never truly given your heart to him. As I talked about crushing those idols, you've never actually done that. You've never said, God, you are Lord of my life. You've never put your faith in him. You've never had that salvation experience like Josh talked about. You've never had that. I believe that tonight, God wants to do something supernatural. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, then he is a new creation Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. And for some of you, that's never happened in your heart. If you're honest, let's be honest with ourselves. I don't care if you went to church every week as a kid. 
Have you been made into a new creation? Have you had that salvation experience? And if you haven't, tonight is your night. There's no more searching. There's no more looking around through all the things in the world to find satisfaction. Jesus is here just as he was on that hot day 2,000 years ago, looking at that, or just at that woman who deserved to be rejected and condemned. Jesus looked at her and he loved her and he told her, there's living water that I can offer you. Today he's offering that to each one of us. So if you just stand with me all across this room. We are all on a quest for satisfaction and joy. I just can really relate with C.S. Lewis when he says, I long for something else. I long for something that's not in this world. And tonight I believe that God wants us to ground ourselves in him and to find the joy and the satisfaction that comes from saying, there are no other gods before you. There are no other gods before you. There's nothing that can come between us. But now the ball is on our, guys, the ball is in our court. If we want to live the life that he's calling us to live, if, guys, if we want to be like King David and say, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. You make known to me the path of life. Then we have to surrender this evening. We have to take from his hand and drink from the water that he's offering us. We have to surrender our lives to him. Let's give everything we got to follow Jesus. Let's do whatever it takes. Let's be that group of people who do whatever it takes to get closer to God. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. The first question I want to ask right now is just for any of you who, like, like when I talked about like not having like an actual relationship with God, if that stuck out to you and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you've never had that salvation experience, you've never really made him the Lord of your life, I believe that there's a lot of us that are going to make that decision tonight. So if that's you, there's no one looking around, just me, just put up your hand and surrender to God saying, God, there's no other gods before you. Just put up your hand right now. See that hand, see that hand, see that hand. Tons of hands going up. Anyone else? Is anyone else to see that hand? All right, you can put them down. That's incredible. I just want to pray for you right now. I'm just going to pray a simple prayer of salvation. And as I pray, I just encourage you just to say, Jesus, there's no other gods before you. I'm putting my faith in you and I'm trusting you for my salvation. I want you to come into my heart. Just pray that prayer in your own words. So Jesus, we just ask you to come into our hearts. Lord, we ask you to crush our hard hearts and to make them soft and and to make them sensitive to you tonight. And Jesus, we ask you to save us from our sin. We ask you to give us a new spirit, Lord. So right now, I believe that something heavenly is happening in this room as God is making dead people come to life. Lord, we thank you for that. Let's just give God a clap. Come on, Jesus. We love you. Come on. Come on. Jesus, you are so good. You make all things new. All right, there's one more group of us. So if you're a Christian in this room, but tonight you need to crush some idols. If that's you, put up your hand right now. Just raise, Okay, tons of hands going up. God, we're crushing the idols in our life. God, we don't want to put anything before you. There's no other gods before you in our life. God, I pray that you'd help us to find freedom from these idols. I pray that you'd help us to have the strength and the perseverance to crush them and say, I'm worshiping you. I'm denying myself, and I'm taking up my cross, and I'm following you to the ends of the earth. God, we pray that tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name, you put your hands down. Amen. All right, so let's just worship our guts out right now. Can we do that? We got three minutes. Trust me, you'll be out here at 930. Let's worship, all right? Let's go. Come on.